Welcome to the podcast series, episode 43, part 1. A framework for understanding migrant involvement with child welfare services. The podcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast develops a framework using current research, outlining the protective and risk factors associated with migrants and their involvement with child welfare services. A record number of immigrants and refugees arrived in Canada in 2015 to 2016. In total, 320,932 immigrants arrived, including more than 30,000 Syrian refugees. According to Statistics Canada, such an influx of immigrants had not been experienced since the early 1910s, during Western Canada's settlement period. In addition, a large proportion of these immigrants and refugees are children and young parents in the peak of child-rearing stage of their life. Further, there is much evidence to suggest that racialized people comprise the majority of immigrants and refugees coming into Canada. The flow of immigrant children in Canada and beyond provides an important impetus for understanding the relationship between immigration and child welfare services, given that many new arrivals lack supportive networks and face language, cultural, and financial barriers. Such constraints overlap traditional explanations of child welfare involvement including socioeconomic factors, child characteristics, and parenting capacity, and offer potentially unique risk factors. It remains unclear, however, whether migrant experiences do, in fact, help in understanding migrant children and family involvement with child welfare services. Indeed, there is little knowledge concerning the link between immigrants and refugees and child welfare services, especially in Canada. For instance, there is no systematic national data collected on immigrant families' involvement with child welfare systems in Canada. Although there have been instances where immigration status has been analyzed, it has tended to be at the local level and outside of Canada. This gap has made it difficult to generalize to a broader population, as the literature includes different contextual factors and distinctive measures, making comparability to the Canadian immigration landscape challenging. In addition, few have sought to bring these eclectic works together to develop a comprehensive understanding of the immigrant experience with child welfare services. Consequently, delving into the current literature on the relationship between immigrants and child welfare is warranted in order to understand the different migrant experiences and how they might influence exposure to the child welfare system. Methods matter. Research and knowledge development. To understand any phenomenon in a rigorous manner, there needs to be a robust body of evidence. Such evidence has two key impacts. First, it reduces the possibility that a small set of undeveloped studies become quote-unquote proof of some relationship. Second, the greater the quality and number of studies, the more likely one is to know the tendencies and patterns of a relationship. This helps in creating confidence in our knowledge base. Given the rather modest attention given to the relationship between migrants and child welfare, the research community needs to continue to develop projects to promote knowledge development. Caveats. The framework presented here was developed based on the findings of several research studies. 
However, it must be noted that small sample sizes and a lack of multivariate or multiple variable or factors controls in many studies reduces the ability to make strong conclusions. Another factor is the small number of data sources and selection bias. Selection bias is the selection of individuals, groups, and or data in a non-randomized manner. This sampling method can undermine the representativeness of the analysis. In the current podcast, the selection bias caution is due to the shortage of research conducted on the relationship between migrants and child welfare, as the selection of studies may be skewed toward particular groups, possibly biasing the views developed about migrant experiences with child welfare services. For example, using too many American studies that focus on Latino immigrant experiences may bias our understanding of the patterns and trends for migrant experiences in Canada or elsewhere. This, for instance, can often prevent an opportunity for further analysis, including the effects of acculturation and legal status. In addition, lack of diversity of studies can also limit the ability to test whether different cultural groups have different relationships with child welfare services. Finally, Immigrants may be considerably underrepresented among those involved in child welfare due to social isolation, lack of social service system use, and lower enrollment rates in school. This can mask the need for child welfare involvement. It should also be noted, the framework uses the term migrants to refer to both voluntary immigration and or involuntary immigration, including refugees and asylum seekers, and caregiver to represent any parent or guardian. Research focusing on newly arrived migrants was given preference in developing this framework. The current podcast is designed to develop a framework outlining the major elements involved in understanding migrant exposure to child welfare services, primarily in North America. A three-stage approach is undertaken. In the print version of this literature review, you can reference figure one for a graphic representation of the framework. The first level, the macro stage, examines the effects of broad population level features in understanding the involvement of migrant children and families with the child welfare system. The meso stage examines features related to the community and organizational level. Finally, the micro stage presents individual level features that are prevalent in understanding child welfare interactions. In line with other studies, elements at different levels of the framework are categorized based on both risk and protective factors. Macro Stage Global Conventions and State Laws United Nations Conventions Several international conventions uphold the rights and protection of children. These treaties include the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UN Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, the UN International Covenant on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, and the UN Convention and Protocol Relating to the Status of Refugees. The 1951 Convention and Protocol Relating to the Status of Refugees emphasizes the unity of the family and the expectation that welfare services be provided to resettled families. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child in 1989 is of particular relevance given its overarching obligation for member states to foster a supportive environment for children and youth. 
as well as provide legal protection, including protection for migrant children. In articulating the rights of children globally, these conventions acknowledge the responsibilities of the state to design and establish protective features for children, in particular those that are in precarious situations. The implementation of such obligations, however, can be challenging at the state level due to a variety of factors, including deep-rooted laws, resource availability, and national security. This tension has been described in several studies, often leaving migrant children inadequately served, particularly in terms of financial supports, access to health services, employment, and language. In other ways, barriers arise due to existing national legislation. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, UNCRC, is mandated to include adolescents under their purview. However, some child welfare legislation limits the age upon which services can be provided. These policies have particular impact on the inherent applicability of UN conventions on the protection of children and youth. Further, conflicts can arise between national security policies and the primacy of children's rights through the integrity of the family unit. For migrant children, this is particularly relevant when caregivers are facing deportation. As previously described, UN conventions often identify the family unit as essential. For instance, Articles 23 and 24 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights call for the family unit to be the fundamental group unit of society and to be entitled to protection by society and the state. However, states often have to choose between family preservation and national security. Some argue that the pursuit of national security has uniformly undermined children's welfare through the separation of the family unit. As a whole, global conventions have been developed to provide universal protections for children, particularly those who are migrants. While these conventions assist in the protection of children at the state level, Conflicts can arise between global principles and state applications of these rights and responsibilities. Another macro factor involves the characterization of migrant children within the host state. Some researchers have argued that dichotomous lenses of the migrant child have become institutionalized. Dichotomous simply means dividing perspectives into two parts. For example, individual agent versus victim, or child versus immigrant. Heidbrink suggests that dichotomous classifications of migrant children are a result of Western cultural values and that the cultural discourse created within a state has consequences for child welfare involvement. In practice, such discourse has been reflected in state policies, emphasizing migrant children as both victimized and troublesome. Further, media analyses have found consistent anti-refugee sentiments being publicly presented. From this perspective, children can be seen as dependents in need of protection within a nuclear family structure and or distrusted as a result of stereotypes or negative biases. Such framing of migrant children, particularly those unaccompanied, can result in the limiting of personal expression, ingenuity, and self-determination, pathologizing a child's agency. For example, a child's agency may be considered problematic or in need of behavioral diagnosis. Immigration law and institutional practices undermine migrant children as agents of change 
and instead isolate children from their family and kin. This seclusion serves to undermine the principle of the child's best interests and increases the likelihood of being exposed to the child welfare system. Another result of framing migrant children through a particular cultural lens is an assumption about migrant mental health. Some have noted that there is an inclination to overdiagnose distress. The result can be a disproportionate focus on mental health services in lieu of community care and integration resources. Indeed, program interventions for young migrant individuals have tended to focus on maladaptive antisocial behavior in the aftermath of war and disaster, as well as negative physical and mental health outcomes. Thinking critically. Worker and organizational experiences. Are UN conventions embraced in your workplace? What are your first thoughts when you think of migrants? Are they inherently positive or negative? Do you think this perspective impacts the work you do? How? Are your expectations different than those outlined in legislation? Mezzo stage. Culture, organizational practices. Acculturation is the process of adopting the culture and social patterns of another group. Family unity and resettlement are often challenging to achieve due to cultural differences experienced upon arrival in the host state. This difficulty can create cultural gaps between migrants and the host state, as well as within migrant families. One of the more prominent issues cited in the literature revolves around diverging parenting styles and discipline strategies. The lack of a universal standard of child rearing or universal standards defining child abuse or neglect further contributes to variability. Acculturation gaps between children and their caregivers in itself may lead to caregiver-child conflicts, putting caregivers at an increased risk of using contentious discipline strategies, thus increasing the potential for interactions with child welfare practitioners. Differences in acculturation can form the basis for tension between primary caregivers, who often adhere to traditional cultural norms, and children, who are more readily exposed to the social norms of the majority culture through institutions such as school. Conflict is a possible outcome as children balance caregiver expectations with the norms of the majority culture, particularly in North America, where autonomy and independence are dominant. Given that migrant children often learn the host country language at a greater speed than their caregivers, children often become mediators. They are responsible for interpreting for family members and negotiating with social institutions, further undermining the family hierarchy and roles of caregivers. Changing role dynamics not only threatens the position of the caregiver, but also creates situations in which children are made aware of sensitive information and issues that could create stress or anxiety. Such disruptions may create pressures that destabilize established family relationships and hierarchies, which can influence long-established gender and caregiver-child roles. Again, families may be put in a position of elevated risk, thus increasing likelihood of child welfare involvement. As a possible mitigation against acculturation stresses, it has been found that living in a neighborhood with a higher immigrant density and ethnic diversity was linked to fewer child maltreatment cases, a sign that social support networks may be an important protective factor against acculturation gaps. Thinking critically. 
Worker Experiences Have you encountered situations where children have interpreted for caregivers during the child welfare process? Have you discussed the potential impact on younger and older family members? How do you assess the differences in impact between families? Child and Family Preferences and Values How do children interpreting for caregivers impact your perception of the child maltreatment allegations and relationship between family members? Child Welfare Worker Orientations Beyond the challenge of migrant families resettling into different cultural spaces, stereotypes about those with different cultural backgrounds emerge, even among those providing child welfare services. An example of this is evident in a child welfare study involving migrant families who have experienced domestic violence. The researchers found that despite much higher rates of alleged domestic violence, unauthorized citizens were no more likely than American-born citizens to have their cases substantiated for domestic violence. These results possibly suggest a balance is required between cultural differences and stereotypes and worker perceptions. Indeed, the authors suggest that properly trained child welfare workers are required to better assess the needs of immigrant families. In another study, child welfare workers identified appropriate supervision of children and physical discipline as two of the more significant cultural differences experienced in working with refugees. Methods matter. Importance of program evaluation. Program evaluation is a means by which information is collected, analyzed, and used to evaluate the characteristics of a program and determine how well the work of an organization aligns with stated goals or outcomes. Many have suggested that improved worker cultural competencies would be important in improving protective factors for migrants. However, this theory is more of an empirical question than research finding. Any organization considering implementation of a cultural competency education or training should evaluate the impact that such knowledge would have to the work of child welfare practitioners. As previously mentioned, one area impacting child welfare involvement is the depth of knowledge of workers about migrant issues. In a qualitative study conducted by Erner in 2007, immigrant caregivers involved with the child welfare system discussed barriers to receiving services. Among the issues cited was the notion that caseworkers often possessed limited knowledge about immigration law, cultural differences related to perspectives on child abuse and neglect, and language differences. Language barriers in particular have often been cited, with the consequence being child welfare workers having limited ability to advocate for the rights of caregivers. Many practitioners have been found to be unfamiliar with the unique challenges that immigrant families face, given their experiences and acclimation to new culture. Similar issues have been identified across other studies, suggesting a need for improvements in child welfare practice as related to migrant families. Lack of cultural awareness can lead to inaccurate assessments that fail to consider the underlying issues affecting immigrant families. Resettlement programs and supports. Intervention programs are cited as a key mechanism for prevention and intervention. Such programs come in many forms, but often include cross-cultural training and collaboration between public and private organizations. Such programs can assist immigrants with, among other things, economic self-sufficiency and English proficiency. 
Other programs may include parenting education about societal expectations of caregiving behavior. Some programs focus on family supports, a prominent example being child care services. Given that informal child care is often less available for new arrivals due to limited social networks, and affordability acts as a barrier to formal child care services, supports are often required. Without such services, it makes working outside the home and acculturation activities more difficult. In Quebec, for example, refugee mothers who were unable to access adequate supports reported reduced family income, poor language acquisition, and decreased opportunity for social integration. Personal connections with a settlement worker make the negotiation of a new living arrangement much less stressful. In the mental health sector, some have advocated for cultural consultants, familiar with the cultural background of the migrant family, to provide a supportive bridge between the individual and healthcare worker. These programs and supports offer an important protective feature to migrant children and families. The question, however, is how accessible are such resources? As seen in the discussion on UN conventions, there is often a case of inadequate opportunity and accessibility. Thinking critically. Have you had a case involving immigrants or refugees? Did you have the appropriate cultural understanding of the family? Did you confirm your cultural knowledge by discussing culture with the family? Were you able to differentiate between cultural practices and risk factors? Did you possess the appropriate knowledge about resources and services for this particular population? Micro stage. Individual characteristics. Pre to post migration. Social, political, and economic strife are often viewed as the main reasons for immigrating. Such contexts can evoke stress about the safety and well being of one's family. In Canada, much of the flow of immigration is from developing countries affected by war or severe political, social, or economic unrest. The transit phase of immigrating can result in another set of experiences that range from routine, such as reconnection with family and friends, to perilous, including lengthy journeys living in limbo or traveling through dangerous conditions. While these experiences are faced prior to entry to the host state, they can lead to many emotional reactions and behaviors once settled. These experiences of trauma, both pre- and post-settlement, can cause anxiety and re-traumatization impeding caregiver ability to provide reliable child care. And yet, resiliency has been a common refrain amongst those migrating to a new state. These experiences are consistent with the acculturative stress hypothesis, which suggests that immigrant families may be at a higher risk during the first years of settlement because they face increased stress from the migration experience, acculturation process, and are less familiar with the expectations of the host state. There is evidence that as a migrant family establishes roots in the host country, through social networks, employment, and understanding of cultural norms, these risk factors begin to decline. Socioeconomic status. Beyond surviving war, conflict, flight, and transition, migrant families are faced with integration challenges, including gaining employment, accessing health care, and having precarious immigration status all while having few social networks. Financial constraints are a prominent feature associated with new migrants. Fortuny and colleagues in 2009, for example, 
found that immigrant families possessed higher rates of financial problems and received fewer public benefits compared to the broader population. And while one study found little evidence that immigrants as a whole were of a lower socioeconomic status compared to native-born groups, results differed between ethnic groups. Indeed, there is much evidence to suggest that involvement with the child welfare system is linked with poverty and low socioeconomic status for both the general and migrant populations. In particular, living in poverty may influence parental emotional and physical health, which may transform into suboptimal parenting practices and behaviors. This finding suggests an indirect impact through stress and reduced capacity to care. The mechanisms linking poverty or low socioeconomic status and child welfare interactions can also be more direct. Lack of income can directly translate into substandard levels of childcare, including lack of food, inadequate clothing, and unsafe childcare arrangements. Similarly, convention suggests that migrant individuals have greater health needs, partially due to accessibility issues. Immigrant children, for example, have been found to be less likely to have health insurance than native-born children. Mental health issues based on the migration process have also been documented, leading to caregiver capacity issues. An alternative hypothesis from the health literature suggests that immigrants may be at a lower risk for a range of negative child well-being outcomes due to the healthy immigrant paradox. This theory suggests that immigrants have better health compared to the native-born population despite the perceived socioeconomic risks for immigrants. This finding may be due to a variety of reasons, including cultural factors, differences in parental risk profiles, underreporting by particular systems, effects of social networks, and self-selection hypothesis. In this way, the healthy immigrant paradox may serve as a buffer to low socioeconomic status. Methods matter. Self-selection hypothesis. The self-selection hypothesis suggests that, given the opportunity, individuals select themselves into groups, causing skewed samples not representative of the population from which they come. In the context of migrants and child welfare, it is hypothesized that those who immigrate share common characteristics that are much less seen in those that did not immigrate. These characteristics could include independence, resiliency, determination, and resourcefulness. Such traits would serve migrants well when trying to acclimatize themselves to a new culture. Immigration status. Immigration status appears to be one of the stronger risk factors for migrant families, as various immigration statuses carry differing entitlements, service accessibility, and legal rights. Refugee minors, for instance, constitute a high-risk group. In this sense, it may be that status acts as a vessel for other features, including poverty, social isolation, lack of information about host country laws, and service accessibility issues. Thinking critically, worker experiences. How convincing does the healthy immigrant paradox sound to you? In your experience, has there been an overrepresentation of migrants involved in child welfare services? Or have you had little experience dealing with migrants? Is your expectation that given the resiliency, determination, and self-selection of those that immigrate, 
they are less likely to come into contact with child welfare practitioners. Conclusions Migrants and Child Welfare Involvement The podcast began with this question. Do migrants possess unique characteristics that assist in explaining exposure to child welfare services? While some of the common elements put forth to account for child welfare involvement generally are true for migrants, that is, socioeconomic status, parental capacity, there appear to be some areas of divergence. First, while the general expectations for why a family may be involved with child welfare services are also valid for migrants, these explanations appear to be heightened for migrants. Not only do migrants often face unsettling contexts in their home state, but often face barriers in resettlement. This is especially true for refugees. Second, given eclectic migrant backgrounds and inconsistency in resources availability, workers without detailed cultural knowledge may be skewed in their decision-making capacity. Third, the acculturation process is believed to be an important and unique component of understanding involvement with child welfare services. Cultural adaptations can lead to a misalignment between traditional parenting practices and the expectations of the host state. Further, rates of acculturation are different between caregivers and children, which can create family conflict. In sum, the resettlement challenges faced by migrants appear to be considerable. Key Summary Points While there are some clear areas that speak to the protective factors preventing migrants from being exposed to child welfare services, these aspects appear to be outweighed by risk factors, including state discourse, acculturation gaps, and socioeconomic barriers. There is much opportunity for learning and knowledge development at the child welfare organizational level, including an opportunity to strengthen cultural competence and awareness of services specific to migrants. Further research is needed to contribute to our knowledge base about the interaction between migrants and the child welfare system, especially for those living in Canada. Much of the knowledge developed is skewed towards the United States. You have been listening to the Parkcast series, episode 43, part 1. The Parkcast series is produced by Practice and Research Together. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the Parkcast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org.